0: Well, glad you're here this morning. Good morning, everybody. and Welcome to Southwest. And if you are a guest or visiting with us for the first time, just want to remind you that after the service, we have a connection corner through those doors and to the right. And we'd love to get information to you about the church. And then if you'd like to give us some information about you, we'd love to have that so we can uh, let you know about things that are going on. We're excited today. It's our fall festival going to be tonight. A lot of people have been working really hard on that. And we're excited uh, about that and thanks for participating in name tag day I got two this morning because our wonderful greeters two different people handed me a name tag with my name on it and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings so I'm Craig Craig today all right so but that helps doesn't it having name tags on them we're going to start doing that on a more regular basis just to help people connect names with faces well I want to tell you about a story there was a customs um, officer who worked at the border for many years and uh, he is a grizzled veteran, if you will. He kind of knew when he felt something about somebody coming through there. He just kind of knew when he thought something was going on. And So there was a guy that, that kept coming through um, in this truck, and uh, he orders the driver out because he just felt this guy is smuggling something. So he orders him out, he searches the vehicle, and they end up pulling panels off the truck, looking behind the bumpers, looking behind the wheels. But he finds no scrap of contraband that he just was sure was there and he's still suspicious but he has a loss to where else he can search because he searched the whole truck and he found nothing so he waved the guy through well every few weeks this guy would come through again and every time he just had this feeling that this guy's got some contraband on this truck but he never could find anything illicit even though they would tear the truck up lots of times and go through get him out said they would uh do full body searches they would use x-rays sonar anything he can think of but every time nothing came up and this no no mysterious cargo was ever found and each time he has to just wave the guy through well finally came down to his retirement time and he's he's on his last day and here comes this guy through and he's like I know I know he's got something but I just can't prove it so he finally says to him he says look I know you're a smuggler. I can't prove it, but I just know you're a smuggler. And I'm, a, I'm retiring. Today is my last day. So it really doesn't matter. I can do you no harm at this point. But will you please tell me what you've been smuggling all these, all these months I've been trying to catch? And the guy goes, yeah, trucks. <laughs> so you were looking for something else. The big deal was right there, but you were looking for something else. You were looking for contraband in the truck, and the whole time it was an illegal truck going back and forth across the border, and you never caught that. And sometimes that happens in our lives, doesn't it? We're looking not for the big deal, the deal that really matters, but we're looking for small deals or no deals. And sometimes we miss the big deal while we're looking for those small deals or no deals, and this guy missed the obvious. So Paul, Apostle Paul, in our text today, as if you've been with us, we've been going through this letter of Galatians, which was to a um, group of Jesus followers in the first century who were new Christians. And um, Paul has been talking about this big deal that has happened, and he's trying to get them to see that it is a big deal. He's very... Um, emphatic about them missing the truth of the gospel, being faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not adding a bunch of rules and the old law, the old covenant to that, which is what happened. So Paul goes in on the first missionary journey, and he shares with this group of folks the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is Christ died for you and your sins, for all of humanity, so that we could be restored to the Father. And that's the good news of the gospel. But somebody... A group of people went in behind him and the other missionaries that went into Galatia and said, no, I know what Paul said, but you still need to follow the Mosaic law. Your your men need to be circumcised and you need to follow. And, And Paul hears about this and he's beside himself because he was a legalist. He believed all that for years. He lived like that and he will not go back to that old way of life since he's heard the gospel that's transformed his life. And so he's very concerned and in this letter he's making a big deal about the gospel and what it really is, the very basics of it. So let's listen in chapter 3 is how he is going on. He's been talking about his personal experience of coming to Christ and how God worked in his life personally. And now he's going to turn the tables a little bit and say, I want you to remember, Galatians, when I first came to you on that first missionary journey and shared the gospel with you, remember what that was like. And so he, he does that. Listen to what he says. We're going to start in chapter 3. Verses 1 and read through 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if and really it was in vain? So again, I ask you, God, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And he said this in Genesis, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He's quoting Old Testament law to him. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree or a cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So Paul is... Is, is pretty personal here. And saying, go back and remember when I first came and shared the gospel. And he says to them, oh foolish Galatians. Man, when somebody calls you foolish, that, that kind of gets to you, doesn't it? And I don't think Paul meant any harm by this, like they were morally or mentally deficient. And there's a couple of different Greek words for foolish that is used in the New Testament. And the first one is the one that Jesus used when he was telling the parable about the the man who built his house on the sand. Remember that? It said the foolish man built his house upon the sand. There's that particular word. And then Jesus uses that same word again when he's talking about in Matthew 25 about the wise and foolish virgins. And some brought extra oil because the bridegroom might be late that night to light their lamps. And there were some foolish ones who didn't. And then when the bridegroom came, their oil had ran out. That, that foolish is what he's talking about. But Paul uses another Greek word here that means basically someone who can can think and knows the truth, but fails to use their power of perception in a certain situation. You ever been there? I have. I know things, but sometimes I fail to use my power of perception because I'm thinking in different terms. And the principles Paul's referred to here are things that the Galatians knew from that first missionary journey, things they had been taught about, the foundational teachings of the gospel of christ the knowledge and understanding were there but they weren't using them so he goes who's bewitched you any of y'all remember that show bewitched okay even if you're kids i know you can look it up on youtube or whatever but it was a funny show but it was about this lady who was a witch you remember all that bewitched and that's what that word is it's the idea that the galatians were under some sort of a spell and paul didn't mean this literally but he means your thinking has been has been clouded by somebody else who's come in and told you things that weren't true. And he's so eager, they were so eager to be accepted by this group who came in and tried to tell them they had to follow the law that it seemed that some kind of spell had been cast over them. So that's why he uses that word. William Barclay translates bewitched as put the evil eye on. Now any of us who are married understand what the evil eye is. Or as kids, we remember in church maybe cutting up and having our parents or grandparents look at us and give us the evil eye, you know. So we understand that. And the evil eye was thought to work kind of like a snake who could hypnotize its prey with just looking at them and just giving them that evil eye and kind of hypnotize them and then strike them really quick. And once the victim looked into the evil eye, the spell could be cast and they were helpless to do anything about it. So therefore, the way to overcome that evil eyes, not to look at it. And using this phrasing or this word picture of bewitched, Paul is encouraging the Galatian Christians there to keep their eyes steadfastly on Jesus Christ and his grace. And you won't be bewitched. You won't have your mind clouded. So the Galatian Christians seem to have been accommodating to the wrong ideas. They were lured into this legalism instead of the gospel. They didn't think that was enough. I have to do more. It's like, no, Belief is enough. They didn't think things through to see if they really were true and they lined up with the gospel that Paul had originally preached them. And that sometimes is a sign of spiritual immaturity. We're on this path of growing spiritually and somebody introduces something new to us and we want to like that and we want to keep growing so sometimes we just take things in without really thinking about how they line up. It's kind of like a baby who just sticks everything in their mouth that comes near them. You know, like, no, don't do that. You know, and we, but they stick everything in their mouth, and that's kind of what was happening. So, Paul, after he asked, How can you be so foolish? How can you be bewitched by this false teaching? He reminds them of what is at the heart of the gospel that they had heard from him from the very beginning. And he has laid out clearly for the Jews, which he was, but for everybody, Gentiles as well, Jesus came for all of humanity's sin. And his death on that cross for God, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified so when he told them he kind of gave them this visual picture jesus went on that tree and usually that was a curse but he said jesus became that curse to give you forgiveness and so he remembers when he was there and he taught him that gospel for the very first time Jesus' death brought life to them and the law brought death. So why do we go back to the law that brings us death? It was rather an emotional plea here for the gospel. And a lot of times teachers or lawyers or whatever will use that comparative. They lay one thing right next to another. Let's compare the two the law and grace. The law and the gospel. Let's lay those right side by side and let's compare them and see if what the real gospel really is. So he contrasts those two. And this was understood in this culture. A rabbi or a teacher's logic in that first century was like this. So Paul asked another question to lead off this comparison. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And Paul knows the answer to this. He knows the answer because he was there He was there when he gave them the gospel message. And he saw their experience, how the the Holy Spirit came upon them. And he saw that they were changed. And they put their faith in Christ who was crucified for their sins. And it was an emotional time for them. It was a transforming time for them. So he follows up, as you heard in the text, with a barrage of four more questions right after that question. To make them think and use their knowledge and their understanding that led them to trust and put their faith in the gospel the first time they heard it. And he says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, the law? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you? version when I'm alive? The message of Christ and you believe that. Did you respond by thinking this is life changing and then you started following the law of Moses and then after that you received changing and you believed in your heart that Christ died for your sins to restore you to God and give you forgiveness and then you received the Holy Spirit and experienced miracles? Which way did it go? And Paul knows they remember which way it was. It had nothing to do with the law. The visible sign of the Holy Spirit coming on people followed by miracles in that first century was something that was common. It was a common confirmation. When we go back to Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon those apostles and those people that day, there was a visual sign of that, that whoa, this has got to be from God. And so when the gospel was first preached to the Gentiles, that same thing happened. People saw this visual confirmation of the Holy Spirit being, and they go, this has to be from God, because the Gentiles are having the same experience that the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. This is from God, and there was a confirmation of that, and it was about their faith, and following the law of the old covenant had nothing to do with it. But Paul is smart, or should I say, Paul's not really smart. Paul is led is directed by the Holy Spirit. And he takes the Galatians back to where the old covenant originated with Abraham. He goes, you want to talk about the old law? You want to talk about the old covenant? I'm an expert. Since I was a little kid, I studied that. I know it backwards and forwards, behind my back, through the legs, all that. I know it. So let's go back to there. See, he's wanting them to understand. So he goes back to Genesis 12, and this is not on the screen, but I'm just going to read it real quickly. And you remember, Abram, before he became Abraham, God came to him and said, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God's plan from the very beginning was not the law to save them, but all all peoples, all peoples, Jews, Gentiles, everybody will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. He believed the Lord that day, and he went. He acted in faith. It wasn't a law to be just, I I believe you, God, so I'm going to go. I'm going to leave where I've grown up my whole life. In the original covenant, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, a blessing, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him, through his seed, he talks about. Not through the law, but through God's grace. See, Abram wasn't chosen because he was perfect and he obeyed the law before it was really the law. Because we know as we read about Abraham, he he had sin, didn't he? Remember when he at least twice we know about it, he lied about his sister. I mean, his wife being, you know, his his sister, oh, it's my sister, because he's afraid they would steal her and kill him. So we know he had sin, but he understood that that ultimately God was the authority and he had faith in him. And between Genesis 12, what we just read and what I'm about to read in Genesis 15, there was some stuff that happened in Abraham's life with his nephew. And, but when God made this promise to Abraham, he's going, if I'm going to be a blessing, if the whole world's going to be blessed through me, then I'm going to have a lot of kids. But this hasn't started yet. And we don't know how many months or years this was, but it got to be after some stuff happens with his nephew Lot. There's no kids. So he started to wonder how God would do this. But he didn't wonder if God would do it. He just wondered how. Because me and the wife haven't had any kids yet. So in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, listen to what he says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord... What can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? That's his servant, and he thought he was going to do it through his servant. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Nothing about the law. He believed what God says. Oh, it it really is going to be for me. Yes, that's what I said from the beginning. Don't lose sight of that. God confirmed his original plan. And notice there was no mention of obeying laws before God would do this. No, I'm going to do this. And I really like this when he tells him, he says, he took him outside in the verses after. He took him outside and says, look up and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. awesome would that be for god to tell you or me to come outside let me show you let me show you what i'm going to do. look up at my creation i made those stars and that's the way your your um children are going to be and abraham believed in that belief no law following is what god says i credit you as righteous now because you believe you put your faith in me and this reminds me of uh uh, the movie karate kid y'all remember karate kid and so, you know, Daniel's son, Daniel's getting bullied by these guys, and he knows Mr. Miyagi knows martial arts, and he's good at it, and he wants him to teach him to be able to defend himself so he won't get picked on anymore. So Mr. Miyagi agrees to do this, but as it starts out... What is he doing? Wax on, wax off. He's waxing all his cars, you know. He's painting his fence, painting up and down. And, and finally, Daniel says, I've had about enough of this. I thought you were going to teach me martial arts. What does this have to do? You're getting your, your cars waxed. You're getting your, your house and your fences all painted. That's great for you. But what am I getting out of this? And he looks him in the eye, and he says, okay, wax on. And he throws the punch at him, and he, he blocks it. He goes, he goes, paint the fence. And he throws another shot at him, and he's able to block it. And then all of a sudden, he realizes, I've put my faith in the right guy. I didn't understand how he was doing it, but I understand now he is going to do it. And so he put his faith in Mr. Miyagi, and we know how all movies like that end. Of course, he's the champion at the end. But I think about that. This is what Abraham did. He put his faith... And God, he didn't always understand how God was going to do it, but he remembered that original plan that God put in place and what he told him, and he believed it, and God credited him as being righteous for his faith. Now, some of you may ask this question, Yeah, Craig, but wasn't Abraham circumcised as part of the covenant? Didn't he do this act of works? Well, of course he did, but that was later. His faith came first, and then God's promise came before the circumcision. Yes, he did that, and that was done as a result of his original faith in the promise. That was a part of reminding him of the promise, but his faith came first, and the law points to faith. In verses 10 through 14, Paul tries to explain this. He says, look, the law was never intended to provide salvation And justification. It was and is not based on faith. The law is not, that's not what it is. The law is to point us to the way that God wants us to live and function in this creation He's made. But we can't keep the law. We will always fail at some point. And the law said from the beginning there's a curse for those who don't follow it. That would be everyone. And this is where I'm aware of my failing in the law most clearly is when i try to point out your failing of the law because if i can keep my mind on you failing the law then i don't see my failing of the law and paul says we all fail we all fail and that's why we need a savior not another law not another try harder this time but grace how many of y'all remember sammy hagar i can't drive 55 remember him you know, had a, he was on his, you know had his own band, and then of course um uh, David Lee Roth quit you know and he took over for Van Halen. I remember those days and uh, anyway, a few years ago there was a um an interview with him, and I find this fascinating interview, but listen to what he said about Jesus. he had talked about Jesus being one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth, and the interviewer says Okay, but what about the claims of Jesus when he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father by me? This is what he said in response. I think that's something man made up. I'm not sure, though I can't say in my heart that I believe that, but I also can't say that I know for a fact that it's wrong. I think it's just been misinterpreted and maybe taken out of context. I really interpret that as Christ saying the way I preach life is don't hurt another, you don't kill, you know, the Ten Commandments. Let's use those for the example. I believe he's saying this is the way to God. You don't have to go through him and use him like he's saying I'm the egoist or I'm the vehicle. He's teaching if you don't obey the rules, you will not go to heaven and not be in touch with God. He continues. I think too much emphasis, I think uh, there's been too much emphasis placed on the man himself. And if he were walking around here today, he would go, hey man, don't be looking at me. I can't save you. Only you can save you. And he made it pretty easy on us. These rules are so simple the Ten Commandments. Anybody in their right mind could live by those rules. I think that's all Christ was really trying to do. What? You just, you were famous for I can't drive 55 breaking the rules. What are you talking about? You know you can't keep the law. But we laugh at that, and I'm not making fun of Sammy Hagar, but there's a lot of people in our culture today that believe that way. Maybe not exactly how he phrased it, but they believe somehow if I obey the rules, I'm good enough to make it into heaven. And if that were true, Jesus never needed to come. Do you see how we devalue Jesus? We devalue his death on the cross and his resurrection when we believe that. That's why I'm preaching this series, y'all. It's that big of a deal to know the truth of the gospel. We have to know that. There must be something else to break this curse of breaking the law. And hear me, it's not trying harder. How many of y'all have tried harder? That works, doesn't it? Nope, sure doesn't. does not work. It's not something, it's someone, and it's Jesus Christ. Paul is showing here that the law most certainly has purpose. It has value, but it's not what breaks the curse or brings us salvation or justifies us before God. It points us to the path that God wants us to go, the life God wants us to lead, but the law cannot take me and you down that path. That's why we need a Savior who did go down that path and shows us the way. And God always had a plan from the very beginning. Even in that original covenant with Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. All nations. We, there's at least two wars going on in this world right now. And guess what? Jesus died for both of those nations that are fighting with each other. All the nations. That was his plan from the beginning. That's why Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. It has importance. It has value. But to fulfill it. And Jesus fulfilled the law in Leviticus 18.5. It says, Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Well, nobody's been able to do that except Jesus. He could keep the decrees and laws. And he obeyed them and lived by them because why? Why? Jesus was the Lord. Remember when he said, I am. Jesus was able to do that. He was the only one who obeyed them and lived by them. And that's why he could be the one sacrifice. Jesus accomplished what no human could. What the law couldn't accomplish, Jesus did. Through his life and his death and his resurrection, Jesus gave us the gift of that salvation, of that redemption, and justified us before God. Do you like those words? Justified, redemption, Salvation. Man, I love to hear those words because that's what Jesus did for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. And Paul says in the last two verses of our text today Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became a curse. He was beaten. He was put on that cross brutally. And He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham at the very beginning of the covenant might come to the Gentiles through Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus became that curse for me and you. Think about that. You should have had that curse. I should have had that curse. We should have been on that cross, but it was Jesus instead. And He gives us redemption, and then we receive the Holy Spirit living in us. And God's way is not written in a book anymore or on tablets. It's written in our hearts because of what Christ did. He became the curse for me. I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to live like he tells me to live. So Paul was appealing to these Galatians to allow their hearts and their minds to come together and embrace the reality that they were justified by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Now this Tuesday is what? Halloween, I know there's kids that are saying in the first service, that's who spoke up. Candy! Candy Day! <laughs> you know, we lose our minds. Which is always funny. It's uh, the, the story behind how Halloween came about in the United States is fascinating to me. So I, I don't have time to tell you that, but look it up, Google it. It's fascinating how we got to where we are today. And some people lose their mind. You got people in your neighborhood like that? Goodness gracious, the way they, I don't know, but all that stuff. But anyway... Um, It's worth the time to look that up. But do you realize some 500 years ago on October 31st, a man named Martin Luther allowed the power of the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit to lead him into something that would start a reformation of the church that was so needed in his time. And it needed to be done because exactly what Paul is talking about here was being done in our church. And Martin Luther said, wait a minute. When I read Paul and his letters in that first century church, I hear the grace. We are justified by faith through grace in Christ. What is the church selling indulgences for? Somehow I can pay the church and I get my sin forgiven. That doesn't line up with what the gospel is. What has happened to our churches? And so Martin Luther nailed them out and gave him candy. Matter of fact, the very opposite happened. People wanted to kill him after this. But what we do know, that reformation was exactly over what Paul is talking to the Galatians about. Faith versus the law. The defense of our freedom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, and I'm, I'm going to do this on Tuesday too. I'm either going to dress up or I'm going to walk my kids from house to house to people I normally never pay attention to or speak to and walk to their door and say, Candy... I mean, we're laughing because it's crazy, isn't it? I don't ever talk to them. You know, Mr. Smith's kind of weird. He kind of comes out in his yard. But I'm going to go over to his house. His light's on. I guess he's going to give my kids candy. But while we do that, and I'm going to do it too, that's fun. I'm not saying that's wrong. But please, please, please remind yourselves and remind your kids that 500 years ago, God did something amazing through the faith of Martin Luther and the church 500 years ago that allowed us to be here today. Do y'all realize that? This church exists because Martin Luther was faithful to what God called him to do and say, this isn't right. This isn't what the gospel is. And we have an amazing church because of what God did through him and people like him throughout the centuries who defended the freedom we have in Christ. So, as we eat our candy, let us rejoice. Let us be at peace and be free because of Jesus' sacrifice and power over death and his resurrection. That is the gospel message. So maybe somebody here today needs to be reformed. We all do, don't we? But it starts not with going, well, this time I'm going to try harder, and I'm going I'm to start obeying the law. No, you're not. You're going to fail just like me and everybody else. But you can start that reformation by saying, I need to surrender to Jesus Christ. I know he was the curse for me, so I'm going to accept that into my life by faith, and then I'm going to try to live that out. That's what, that's what the gospel is. So if there's somebody today that needs to, for the first step of that reformation, just acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to do that. Or maybe you're looking for a church home, and I can promise you we break laws. <laughs> we fail. We are not perfect, but we always have to point ourselves back to the gospel of Christ. And know that He is our example. And maybe if you're looking for a church like that, we offer that invitation as well. I know a young lady that's coming, and I'm very excited about that. But there may be others. So we're going to stand right now, and the band's going to come up and, and, and have a song for us. And as we're waiting um, for someone to possibly come, I hope you will prepare your hearts. And remember, as we get ready to go into a time of communion, um, that Jesus became the curse for you and for me. And reflect on that as we sing this song and and we prepare our hearts for communion.